Back in the studio. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Chaos! Dude, this board's gonna get a workout. Welcome back. Oh, that actually got me. I thought that was someone at the door. Oh, welcome back, baby. Welcome back. I'm back in the fucking the studio. Yeah. Going? Oh, guys. Feeling great. Feeling good. We are docking. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> if you couldn't tell from the start of that, we're talking about cults today. Yeah. All right, but this is where it's gonna fuck it. Record scratch right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's not editing that. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how the night goes. Uh, this is actually very serious. This is um. So this is some heavy shit. I'm going to take you back in the way back machine because even revisiting this on YouTube, it is it has been a year since we did this. This is our uh, second interview. Sorry, guys. I'm just fucking getting back in the seat. Getting, there's been a few cats in my ass groove. Just need <laughs> <laughs> There actually has been. <laughs> hey. <laughs> He's quick. He is. Um, but, yeah, no, we... You, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell uh, from the, the way that we started, but this is a very heavy fucking app, heavy, heavy app, heavy, heavy app. We're um, we're speaking about the family, which is a very, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say they're very well known. Would would you? I didn't know about it until we did the uh, until we started doing the research. I heard about it. I had some people tell me to go, hey, you should check this out. Like before I even started doing the podcast. And then, um, fuck yeah, like it, it is hairy stuff. Yeah, they're so they've. I guess uh, we'll start by saying they're they're based in Melbourne. Well, that's you know, th- but they they did spread worldwide. Yeah, they so spread worldwide. The leader of the cult was uh, Anne Hamilton. Anne Hamilton Byrne. <laughs> Byrne, fucking Mister Burns will push it down the fucking stairs. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this cunt. <laughs> and there's no other word. Right, I was going to send this to Ben, but I won't. No, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, no, seriously, like, there's nothing good about it. No, you're right. Um, so what she, what this uh, fucking miserable prick did? Uh, she she started she was started as a yoga instructor, like all evil people do. And um, sorry for all my yoga instructor mates <laughs> that I have. <laughs> Actually, do you're not all bad. But it is pretty cultish. Um, <laughs> but uh, so she started off as a yoga instructor and started hanging out with rubbing some elbows with the elites, and then got a bunch of uh, you know uh, vulnerable people that have also had past trauma in their life and took advantage of them and started this cult, and uh, was pretty much getting uh, tricking people into giving their children straight up to this cult. They yeah. had no. They had no foundation, didn't have a chance to start at all. Like the lives that this cunt ruined, sorry, saying it again, <laughs> like like it is beyond a joke. A lot of these people that made it through the cult um, passed away just from trauma and just couldn't handle it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fucked up. Like um, we actually spoke with Ben Shenton who 
he believed the leader to be his own mother until he was about 15 years old when uh, he was rescued by um, the police force. And uh, so this is actually going to be a two-part episode. So the first part, we will actually speak with Ben. Um, he'll describe what it was like growing up in the cult, um, you know, what, what like where he's ended up. Um, and yeah, and then we're going to speak with the, actually the, the leader of the task force, Lex. Lex. Lex Demand. Dar man. Yeah. Our man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to speak with him in part two and hear his side of it. Yeah. So I'm going to take this back to when we start doing this. So this is our second episode, right? And like the first. Like when we were doing, like when, when we were, we're doing streaming. This, when we were doing yeah. the stream, like we hit the ground running. Like we started the channel with one interview having people agree to do an interview later on that week. Yeah, so like our first episode was way different to, like, I guess how it's turned out. Who knows? We might go back to the roots. But, like, with our first episode, it was, like, um, a, one of the biggest goosebumps collectors in, in the world. It's and spooky. Then, and then a TV star. So a TV it was star totally that had done spooky stuff. And yeah. Did, we did try to bring it back to that. But then we hit the ground running with this cult stuff. And... The lead up of that week, like it was some of the most fun that I've had. It was like we've organized these interviews. It was very fucking uh, fast and loose. They were coming on, and then like, like it it, it, it was the first time you're like, we can fucking do this. Because mm-hmm. then like later that week, we broke into the compound. Allegedly, we broke into the compound. You can't prove anything. Mm-hmm. And we will show that footage. I reckon on we'll our show, Instagram. Yeah, we'll show that footage on the Instagram. We shit our pants. <laughs> and it no was snitching. All right, no snitching. That was my brother. <laughs> yeah. Bill Doss. It was our doppelgangers. Doppelgangers, which we'll get into <laughs> on the next, not next episode. I don't, don't <laughs> if you got a doppelganger story, please get, get in contact yeah, with us. That'd be cool. But um, it was a very whirlwind. It just like, it was the first time that everything fit into place. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would love that. But I was like, fuck, I can't, we can't do this every week. Can we? Yeah. We can't break into somewhere. <laughs> Go to the physical spot where some of this stuff happened and uh, it just all worked out. And then like the fact that like, so Lex Demand will be the next week's episode. He, we'll go into a bit more later. Like we'll talk about that later. All right, next yeah. week I reckon. But th- talking to this guy, Ben, like listening back to it. So it was our second interview and, and, and like I don't, I didn't. Like, I took it in what he was saying, but, like, listening back, like, you get another... Because I was just excited that we're talking to yeah. someone that was, like, I'm like, how did... Why is he doing this for us? Why is he doing this as big solid? Mm. And then, like, he was saying stuff and, like, like you, could, you know, we're looking back and, like, oh, no, I wish we were talking a bit smoother. A bit yeah, well, there's... Dude, when I was... I listened back to it today, there was just, like, so many questions in my mind that I'm like, fuck, I wish I asked this. I wish I asked that. Which just led into this. And yeah. you just, like... We were, if, we were inexperienced, um, but listening back, I think that we did a good job. I think, I think we, we did we a real good... With, like he says multiple times, you know, you guys did like good question. like Really good question. Yes. No, but shout out to him. He was a fucking G. And I, and I honestly like listening back to that interview and then also I rewatched the documentary a couple of days ago. I genuinely feel for him. And yeah. um, I'm very like, I'm actually just like stoked that he's found his way and he's like you know. yeah it's exactly what i was gonna say like listening back to it right so you gotta you gotta imagine like we had two years of un of in our lives interrupted with the covid and all that right and we're still in contact with everybody but like i'm telling you now you got out and you did act 
you did act different. You're stepping back from people. You're doing th- like this is two years of this thing. You got to think this guy had no chance. He was born into this cult. That's what it is. It's a cult. Like he knows it's a cult. Mm. He was born into it, and then you're going to hear that he gets to the age of fifteen. Lex Demand breaks the thing up. He has to go to the normal world. And trying to adjust to society. And trying to adjust. Yeah. And then he was. He says. He says like he, the he his the cool school kids called him psycho. And he goes, And he said that was sometimes that name was just like he has the self preservation to step back at this present moment in time mm. and look back and go. I could see why they were mean to me. Yeah. Like he could still. He still look has in the third person. Almost. Look in the third person yeah. and still say like you know this was weird for them, and that that takes a big dude and for like sure. like. Yeah, I couldn't imagine it. Like, there's been science experiments done. Like, uh, a mouse in the womb, right? If you, they did it on mice, they've made the uh, thing. If, say, like, you were pregnant with uh, with your missus, right? Mm-hmm. And then you abused her the whole time while that baby's in the womb. When that baby comes out, you switch like that and you go, no, nah, I'm dad of the year, whatever. That baby still feels that trauma from in utero. So you've got to think, the, these moments in this guy's life, for him to like, like that's like be growing up out, yeah. to be able to come out and have like it's not some sort of normal life. He has a normal life, yeah. and he's and he can see it all, and he's because he essentially you could turn around and go, well, fuck it, I can be a fuck up mm-hmm. and accept it. You go, well, I've got every excuse, but he didn't do that. He fucking knuckled down, and he's become a fu- more than functional member of society. Yeah, for sure. I'm not one for religion. Like, it's not for me. It's you know, but but hearing stuff like his tale and his story. It makes you. I, I, I'm. I, I'm glad that it's there for some people. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like if some people can help find. You know, find their path, find their way. By, um, I mean, you know, believing in something else, something bigger, I guess. And yeah, I mean, it's not for me, but you know, hearing that he can find, I guess, a little bit of solitude in something. Yeah, bigger. Like, like yeah, and take it That's what it was designed to do. Religion, in my aspect is a tool but it depends how you use it it's like mm-hmm. the internet's a tool and we still manage to fuck around with it every day and fuck it up yeah just be absolute fucking chimps touching fire <laughs> like, yeah. like what do you mean my nudes are it everyone <laughs> like you know what it does like like we're fucking stupid but um like we've talked to a few guys in cults and like We've talked to a few cult members, different cults as well, like Heaven's Gate, stuff like that. Just stay tuned for them episodes. Mm-hmm. But you talk to these people and, like, you know, you read about this stuff and you're like, fuck. Um, yeah, watch how, documentaries. How, how could you fall for this? How could yeah, you be yeah. this dumb and all this? But these people, like, if you actually genuinely talk to these people, they're not dumb. No. They, like, they had one thing and they wanted, to fi- they wanted to feel like we all do. We want to be accepted and this is how they felt accepted. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I think... Found their place. They found their place. But Ben didn't get that chance. Ben was forced. To go, this is your place, and you're gonna hear how bad it was, and and the grueling shit that he went through, and it's just, it's Heavy. dark, yeah. And uh, yeah, next week we're gonna get into an interview with uh, Lex with Demand Lex. as well, so it's gonna be a two parter, the first two parter. Hell yeah! So guys, we'll see you at the end of this. Enjoy. And we're gonna lighten it up a bit. Yeah, Wanga, Wanga. All right. Well, today we are with Ben Shenton, who uh, was previously a member of. The family, a cult from Melbourne, Australia. Um, ben, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, good start there. So, um, what am I? Forty-eight years old, um, up to the age of 
15 and I paused there to say 15 um, because I was actually told I was 14 and when I was removed from the cult I found out I was actually older than uh, the birth date that they'd given me. Um, so yeah, grew up in the cult. My mum became part of it in the early 60s uh, and when I was born uh, I was within 18 months uh, handed over and my mother disappeared into the background, my biological mother, and I grew up believing I was the son of a woman called Anne Hamilton Byrne, who at that stage uh, was running a cult called the Great White Brotherhood, or the family, as it became known. Um, and I spent 15, or so the, the rest of my childhood years in this cult until August the 14th, 1987, uh, some 100 police descended, rescued us, uh, which I'm very grateful for. And I spent uh, the good part of three years trying to find out the world that I had suddenly become part of, that I'd looked out upon um, from the behind the a barbed wire fence. Uh, wow. Suddenly I'm part of this world trying to fit in and trying to work out what the rules are and began to find my feet. So that has become long ago and to the point where I, it's like talking about another person, thankfully. Um, but yes, that was, we're talking uh, some almost 40 years ago now. Uh, yeah. So it's a long time ago. I'm a very much a different person. So moved on, got married when I was 20. I've been married for nearly 28 years, hold a job down at IBM, which I've had for about 24 years. Uh, have uh, two adult children which I'm very proud of doing very well in life and yeah live life over in Perth uh, part of a church community uh, which I've been part of for over 30 years um, living life and loving it wow that's good man yeah. that's an amazing story yeah, that's, yeah. yeah you've uh, you've that, definitely lived a, 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 a different life to I would say the average person so it's good to see you've come out on the in uh, you know in a, in a positive manner in yeah, the, the other side of it yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I am uh, a lot more fortunate than others, let's put it that way. Yeah, so, it's yes, it's been good in a journey. Yeah. So, well, so was it hard? Uh, like, so what was, just say, when you were rescued, um, so what was the deal after that? So you had to go to school and try and, I guess, make friends yeah, with everyone? Good. And Yeah, how did that Yes. Go? So very ill-equipped to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> part of... Any, and I guess you're talking community, is you have your own rules um, that are there. And I'd, I'd call every community a, a community's underlying legal tenants, <laughs> a cult. Mm -hmm. So every community has its what it enforces, the, its practices, its visions, its goals, all of those sorts of things. So the community I grew up in was designed and the motto that was run by was unseen, unheard, unknown. Um, so unable or very purposely taught to stay disconnected from society, uh, very lacking in skills to build relationships with people. Uh, anytime we attempted to do this, the leader, Anne Hamilton Byrne, would purposely break those relationships up. Wow. Uh, I had very little trust um, on people my own age because of the rules that we live by, if anyone violated those, we were punished. 
uh, and very early on, uh, when we're talking punishment, brought into a room, everyone interrogated, abuse that would happen, um, beatings, uh, on and on it went. So from a very young age, I began to put my hand up. I remember one of my earliest memories was actually saying that I'd, I'd done this crime, so to speak. Um, it didn't take me long to register. This wasn't a very smart idea. Uh, if I kept signing up for and saying I'd done things, I would be in a world of pain. So I very quickly worked out, well, if I knew who'd done it, tell on them and everything good. And we, we ran by a rule book. So the underlying legal tenets, they were arbitrary in some cases. Uh, so when I got pulled out of the cult, I was equipped, in essence, not to have relationships with people of my own age. I treated those in charge, which would be teachers, would be law enforcement, all of those, even though we were taught to distrust the police, we were told that they were there to take us away in a bag and drown us. Um, Authority that I saw was the absolute, and I I had no file for relating to them as people. It was more an enforced, you know, a force to please. So fitting into society for me was the rules were suddenly extremely different and all the the rules that I'd learned to survive and when I say probably the rules the mechanisms because we all responded differently but mine was to the mechanism I used to survive when applying those mechanisms to functioning in society that most people go up in judo christian worldview australian society just did not work you don't rat on your mates um, you need to have events and situations you can connect and relate to um, men tends to be, we were back in the uh, 80s, 90s, it's going to be music, it's going to be films, it's going to be sports, cars, girls. On all of those, I was zero. I had, had no, no, nothing to file or connect with. So I really struggled. Uh, it wasn't long before, just depressive, couldn't connect with people. It was so bad. My nickname at high school was Psycho uh, and well earned. Uh, the usual just mucking around that would happen in a before you go into school in the locker room, basketballs, you know, tossed around, one hit the back of my head. I grabbed it, angrily trotted out through uh, the school. Um, yeah, absolutely enraged that someone had hurt me, tossed the, the basketball onto the field, stomped back through the through a group of people, grabbed my school books and sat down in the very schoolroom of these people that I just got incredibly angry with so uh, that was one of many trip around central australia that had one of the teachers had organized for year 11 camp i went with one friend and came back with alienating about 50 people and zero friends just not knowing how to function no fault of their own in fact a couple of these young men um, made it their english project to try and help socialize me and it was a little bit more than it was they were genuinely trying to help and there's a couple of guys there um, I look back on that, that took me on um, of let's help this poor boy. Um, and it wasn't really pity. It was just they were curious. They wanted to help out. But, you know, they did their best. <laughs> and I was a very slow student, to say the least. But anyway, time moved on. I've been able to assimilate. But no file through even getting on trains and buses. I remember getting, you know, buses that the door opens for you, trains it doesn't. I had no idea that they were different. Went onto a train, tried to get off at the station close to where it was and the train, the doors didn't open for me. And bye-bye. And I got lost uh-huh. and took an hour trying to get back home. So just normal stuff that 
you just grow up and your your mates teach you just, yeah, it was just anathema for me. So very difficult. Yeah, thankfully it didn't last forever, but the first probably three years was very disorientating and very difficult connecting to society and learning what the rules were and what's appropriate, what you can and can't say, what the rules of engagement are with boys and girls and, you know, not ratting on your mates, and which is, of course, what I brought up doing. Yeah. Um, not that I had many, but it just, it's, it's, it was a shocker. Okay. Anyway, we got, we got through yeah. it. Yeah, no, we, we're glad to see you on yeah, the other no. side, that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, all good. A day in the life of. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Would, uh, could you describe like, like your average day in the cult? Like sure. Yeah. Yeah, and the the movie Groundhog's Day springs to mind. Oh. Every day felt like it was the same day, but there was there was slight variations. So. Uh, uh, I'm thinking back, well documented in a book one of the girls, uh, Sarah Hamilton Byrne wrote, Unseen, Unheard, Unknown. Um, and it was very regimented where you could literally, you know, I think from memory it was up about 5.30 in the morning. Every you know, we, we slept in different rooms. Um, there was the boys' room, which is, of course, where I was, that um, was turned into the Hathi yoga room that everyone was. It was an old um, boat where we lived on a lake. Uh, Lake Ilden, a very popular, anyone in Victoria will know that as a holiday uh, location, Lake Ilden. Um, so we lived on there. The house, two-story house, we actually had a, um, a wooden um, two-story. The bottom area where, where we were, the boys' room was where the um, boat w- w- used to be kept and they'd go down the slipway into the lake. So it was a larger area there. So we'd get up um, very cold, obviously through winter, We'd quickly everyone file out to the toilet back in, have yoga and meditation that would be anywhere, what was it, 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, we'd listen to tapes from either Anne Hamilton Byrne that she'd put together on, a, on whenever she preached and at her sect headquarters at Shanti Keaton Lodge, just outside of Melbourne in the Dandenong Ranges, or Swami Muktananda, who was a, a guru of... Um, an Indian guy um, as well. So he was, we'd listen to his tapes. Then we'd pack up the schoolroom, uh, get ready for school, uh, put all the, everything away. Uh, then it was a quick run. Uh, we'd then have fruit for breakfast. School went through to about 12. There was for memory meditation that was done. We'd do the afternoon and then there was yoga, uh, meditation in the evening dinner, homework, bed. And that was five days a week. The weekends were almost exactly the same, except the breakfast and lunch were turned into a brunch around about 10 o'clock. It was a vegetarian, vegan diet that we all had. Um, There would be walks around the lake. We'd sometimes go down to a property close by called Sunny Corner uh, that was a sect property. We'd we'd maybe take a run down there. yeah, and then in the evenings when television finally came around, uh, which would have been in the late 70s for memory, uh, it was very controlled what we'd watch. We'd either have films that they would put on that were all vetted um, or, yeah. And, and they they were, they ranged from James Bond uh, through to Dr. Zhivago. There was biblical series we'd see as well. I mean, it was quite an eclectic group, but all of it was looked at, monitored, 
uh, right down to the newspapers that so, we would. So would Anne be d- given. decide on the movies and. Very much so. So it was directed what we couldn't couldn't see as well as what I'd call her cult members as well. So even the radio playing, they'd listen to it, turn things off. The newspapers, there'd often be articles cut out of those. Uh, so classic censoring. So it, it, every culture, every society chooses what is the narrative, what you listen to, what you don't, what's accepted. I mean, we, we look at the, the current environment we all live in at the moment. What disinformation, misinformation is algorithm doubt of what we're allowed to see. Um, you know, people live in the bubble of, of what the oligarchs decide we can and can't yeah, view. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's nothing new um, of what is and isn't allowed to be done. I just got a file for this very early on and it was very obvious when you'd get a broadsheet newspaper with three columns chopped out. Um, now, now, now we get a search engine and information on certain health products or certain political views or you know, certain information is deleted for us. We don't even know it's there. So you know, cults are cults, whether they're political or religious. Mm. There we go. Um, do most people in your life know about your past or do you choose to keep that a secret? Or like to yourself? Um, yeah, look... Apart from the occasional twitch, I, people treat me as fairly normal um, for a slight sense of humour there. So, no, a very good question. I um, would probably share it with more people than, than others that I grew up with. Um, that would probably be you'd get different responses from all, from all of us. Probably why, and I, and I do share it, not with every single walking person all of the time, as it were, but where the opportunity would come up where it's going to help people. Um, I'm happy to go there and share it. And probably where I began to speak about my story was back when I was in Ballarat, I was pastoring um, and people would come into church and you would begin to see similar themes, uh, broken families um, dealing with, you know, self-medication on different levels. And while it might not have been drugs uh, and alcohol for me, but I was seeing very similar themes in here, similar type of damage, you know, un, almost unresponses that they would have in life where they'd go, why am I acting this way? This is unhealthy, but I'm, I feel I'm wired this way. So I began to just, I guess, share my story with people of what had gone on. And the other thing that tends to happen um, as you're reaching out in the community and dealing with people that have been in prison people that have had drug addictions, alcohol problems, broken families, is that when their life's being restored, quite often, I mean, you, you will share the story of how did you become a, a Christian? What, what's your background? I mean, at the, even at the moment, the church community, I mean, there's yeah, there's people that have been ice addicts for 20 years that are now restored, and, and you just, you'll share the story of what happened. So um, a story of hope. So, yes, I, I would probably say that I share my story often enough. Um, and... Definitely my children grew up hearing the story. Um, people would come over, you'd sit down, spend time, and this is you're helping them. And, you know, I'd, I'd share the story over time where they'd ask, where'd you come from, what's your story and stuff. And I'd say, well, I've got a bit of a, an interesting background yes. where I came from and stuff. And so the story would be trotted out. And you know, my daughter's joked at times, she could probably tell the story better than I could at times. You know, has heard, heard it a bit over the times. And then, as I said, I've, I formally... Uh, given many a talk in different meetings like Probus and travelled 
uh, through Southeast Asia at different times, just helping out with the church and told them a story there as well in, in India and other places. So, yes, I've, I've, I've told it quite often. Do you stay in touch with any of the kids you grew up with that were in the cult as well? Or That's a great question. And I, and I remember when I first came out within the first couple of years of someone saying to me, there's a fair chance as you know, 10 to 20 years pass by and longer you probably won't be in each other's pockets as much it's almost like having grown up with a family you just go your own way i remember at the time sort of scratching my head going that's a bit weird but you know because all i'd ever known was growing up with my brothers and sisters we had this similar experience similar life we stayed in contact uh those initial probably four to five years we we lived around each other's lives either together or very close but yes as the years have gone past we've we've separated and look i have some level of contact with some of them to the level at which they wish it, but very much we've gone on and had our own lives. And look, there are events and situations that happen that would bring us back together. Um, and almost like, I guess, you know, say for example at Anzac, dawn service where you have the gunfire breakfast and you'll have veterans getting together and, and there's this comfortableness and this this they've been in the same yeah. battlefield together or same environment together you don't have to explain to them the context the culture the reference points they're just there so i guess there's this element of when we do get together of just there's this common experience we've had without having to walk people through the questions you just get it um so yeah while i haven't maintained close friendships there's still connection with some of them and then there's others which i 100 percent respect that you know never speak about it um never want to have anything to do with that past that's how they've coped with it and, and i guess me being fairly vocal um about it would choose to um you know, have very little to do with me which i completely respect you know and as i said life's just moved on anyway so um yeah it's it's all good so yeah to varying degrees do you uh was it true that julian assange was a part of the family uh, I if I had a dollar for every time I got asked that question, <laughs> and, I, and I and and I don't Jesse, I don't diminish the question there because yeah. it it was it's a fascinating wrinkle in a in a man's life who, in a sense, is an enigma to us all, considering what he's been involved with. Um, you know, the purveyor of secrets uh, with with all that's gone on, spent time hidden away. And so when they began, in a sense, the media picked up on his stories as he came front and centre with the 2000, what was it, 2016 elections with the great dump that happened and the other stuff before then. The media began researching this guy's life and I, I began to be asked quite often, was he part of it? And the answer to it is not a formal member. Um, his only real connection from what I've researched and what I've picked up and and those that have that have the police and I guess you're going to be in contact with Lexter Man, he'd say the same is that there is no formal connection. His closest one really was um his mother at one point had a relationship with a sect member. Um dialed in very quickly that this that this and I guess stepfather or or her you know partner guy that she married or, or was in relationship with was part of this cult and she chose to steer very clear of the cult very early on right. um so while this guy was connected she never really was 
therefore Julian wasn't, but he did spend the vast majority of his life, in a sense, on the run. She kept him off the grid, <laughs> if I could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really not my story to dial in until I don't have the in-depth details. And from what I've picked up and what yeah. you can read online is that, you know, he he homeschooled in a sense or was always moving on from school to school, incredibly bright. Mm-hmm. Got him a modem very early on, became part of the old boards that you join up to, um, yeah, coded whatever else, and off he went on his own way. And yeah. yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, it's not not really part of the cult, but definitely a connection there, which which adds to the mystique and the yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Why, which is why the, the media always said. came asking. Yeah, and if it was true, wouldn't it be even cooler? You know, <laughs> suddenly the family <laughs> comes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, yeah. No, you know, and, and and the guys had a tough enough life without having been part of the cult. The yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. Same as that way. Uh, do you have any like sympathy for the aunties that were like ringed into the cult or anything like that? Or yeah, and look, one of those was my was my mother. When <laughs> um, we'll we'll talk to that a little bit as we move on. But yeah, I I'd, I'd have to say that. <sighs> What you believe is is very important. It's critical. Mm. And the level at which people digress from truth, and I would say the Bible, as what you know, as Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? As Jesus began to dial in with him. Uh, the level that and, and and you know, societies that have built their uh, their values upon the word of God, families, individuals, and I would say probably my life would attest to that along with many millions of others, it tends to work and work well. Um, now, when you reject that, and I, and I would say back in the culture of the 60s, uh, there was a real clash between the Judean Christian worldview and communism. Uh, the hippie movement, um, spirituality, which really is that clash. Because moles is upstream of culture, which is upstream of politics, which is upstream of the societies we live in. It's all part of the rules, the, what's spoken about, what uh, governments push and allow, has outcomes. And when you had an explosion of the sexual revolution that was hand in hand with communism, you can, you can track that back into the 20s and 30s over in uh, Russia. Uh, where there was naked communes. Um, there's posters you can look up and you actually has on there it's every comrade's right to have sex and give sex whenever anyone wants it. Incredibly liberal. That, that was the 60s. And so uh, many of these aunts, uh, cult members, had come out of the product of a, a loosening and a rejection of the principle that we're all born with sin we naturally do wrong. You don't have to teach a child not to touch the paint. We just touch it. Mm. Um, you know, that little bundle of joy you hold in your arms isn't long before they shake their fist and go, no, I'm mm-hmm. not doing this. Oh, as the first word they learn, it's in us. We're not a blank slate, mm-hmm. as, a, you know, as, as some would say. So that's Dr. Spock in the, in the 40s, 47, I think, came up with this whole concept to remove the idea that you have to bring boundaries to your appetites. These, you know, if you do any of that, you'll just, you know, you'll ruin this poor little individual and you'll ruin them. And it was only, you know, nearly 30 years later, he recounts saying, we've, we've brought up a, a nation of spoiled brats. Well, the 60s 
late 60s, 70s, they unleashed those upon the world. And many cult members, the aunts, which were, one, which, which were those, were the parents of these children um, mm-hmm. that, had, that had been sold a lie, that were looking for answers. And you had the Jesus People movement, which was people going, their summer of love with dr- drugs, sex, rock and roll, whenever you want, however you want, didn't work. And there was this arm wrestle between the occult, between, I'd say, the left, uh, neo-liberalism, um, that had bled its way through into universities in the 60s with Billy, uh, with the Beatles thing, So You Want to Start a Revolution song mm-hmm. that, that spoke into that. Um, and these aunts really, when they rejected the Judean Christian worldview, they rejected the truth, became deceived with this lie um, that Anne was providing an answer to a very real problem in society. She created community. She created answers. She really connected with them as an individual, caring and loving and all of that. But we look back in history saying, here was a woman who was very messed up herself, that used and abused these people, that controlled them, that broke up their own families. Many of these aunts are coming out of broken marriages, broken families, children that were very messed up and bought this bill of goods, you know, that uh, like a credit card <laughs> gives me some goodies to start with, but I've eventually got to pay for this. And mm, the yeah. interest was huge. So these aunts came to a place where they were living two weeks on, two weeks off, coming up to look after us. We weren't their children. We were, you know, they were very tired. They were worn out. They were giving their money to look after these unappreciative kids um, that own broken homes themselves. I mean, you know, anyone with with any, and that's why it's such a good question, you've got to to feel for them in the end. And it's interesting, one of the aunts, um, Patricia, actually went to Lex Demand when he tracked her down over and Lex Demand being the investigative uh, police officer who was uh, eventually became in charge of Forest Task Force um, that investigated the cult and managed to find Anne over where she was hiding on a sex property in, in America and bring her back. So he, he began to really investigate all of this and he connected with uh, Patricia McFarlane, who was over in England at this stage, and she went to him, um, uh, gave many, many an interview on what had happened, really feeling a guilt. And I, I would, I'm not surprised. They, my mother, to this day, has had to process that she handed her son over, um, and I'm in relationship with her now, to what she believed to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, uh, Anne Hamilton Byrne, and it wasn't the idyllic world that she thought it was. And so she struggled to process another one of the aunts, Margot McLennan. Before she died, I caught up with her in Canterbury, um, spent about five hours talking to her. And she was struggling with the idea that she'd been part of something that allowed us to go through water torture, where we were all lined up, all of us um, belted, our heads held under the water uh, for you know, 10, 20 seconds, pulled out. Did you do it? Did you do it? Head back under, you're gasping for breath, blue in the face think you're going to die sort of stuff that happened on two occasions um so her commentary on that is that she'd heard one of the girls say that that we younger ones were crying because we were concerned that there wouldn't be enough water in the bucket when it was our turn and of course i went marga what what <laughs> of course we weren't crying because of that we were terrified she goes i'd i'd rather believe what i'd heard so what you're dealing with here is because they and this this is 
oftentimes you only realize you're part of something that's bad, uh, morally corrupt, what the underlying rules are, what it makes you do when you bought the bill of goods, as it were, in retrospect. And processing that you've been made to do things you're ashamed of. It would be similar to people in Nazi Germany that, that the authority at the time said, if you do not tell on the Jews, if you don't tell on the, you know, the gypsies, if you don't turn these people in um, to go into these camps, you will be considered as bad and responsible. Wasn't Daniel Andrews trying to pass an omnibus law that anyone that they saw that didn't adhere to the COVID rules were better tell on them? Mm. Um, and you had, you had the, concerned Karens and, and I get it freaked out people that were fearful of their lives because they believed that COVID-19 was a death sentence mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that everyone adhered to the rules that would protect them so you, you can create totalitarian governments and cultures create an environment where well-meaning individuals can end up doing stuff that they later regret that can cause great damage so yes I, I have a great um, empathy and concern for them, um, and in a sense, trying to deprogram my mother um, and take her on a journey to accept that what she believed and what she was part of was actually dangerous um, has been a journey. Mm. It's a journey. You can't help but feel empathy. But at the same time, adults that are responsible, um, you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. So I think mm. there's some level of culpability, but you would understand why there are and that's why I put it down to Anne Hamilton Byrne and some of the people that remained with her um, were very evil people yeah we think so too uh, what were what was your like what were your thoughts on Anne before and after you were rescued yeah it's my earliest memories of Anne was this was mummy this, yeah. this, this, this was this woman who her eyes followed you everywhere, but, you know, in photos that were placed up around her. She was revered by everyone, and yet she's mummy to me. Yeah. Uh, she'd come up on the weekends, a very regimented, strict lifestyle. She would often be away for up to 18 months overseas doing God's work. Yeah. So when she was turned up, it was really hyped. This, you know, it's going to be fantastic, the... the the schedule I spoke about earlier would be broken a bit, you know, she'd, she'd take us, uh, presents would come, it would be exciting, all of that sort of stuff. Yet at the same time, we would ask, is she in a good mood or a bad mood? Because if she's in a bad mood, all hell broke loose. Uh, she, she was the person who came up with all the rules that she signed her name to in her rule book, Anne Hamilton Burn. I can still envisage a signature to this day. Mm-hmm. There was like a death warrant, well, not a death warrant, I've exaggerated that, but, you know, the, the, the rules that, 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 caused us to be dunked, that caused us to be beaten and missed out on meals we put in cold showers, the very one she signed. There were times where she was very angry with us and, you know, would beat us, stiletto um, heeled shoe she'd use, as well as a flat leather slipper. Um, you know, she, she would set one of us against another um, and had complete control over our life and we lived in fear of her. There was this week where she had spent the time with us up there. She had the cold, flu, whatever it was, it was installed in her room and it was a week of terror. We were delighted when she finally went back down, um, hauled up in front of her, lines handed out, um, told you'd done things you knew you hadn't done. I mean, we, we lived in, in terror of her as well. 
so great fear yeah, uh, mixed, mixed in with love. I mean, she she got just the right mix. I think that's often with a with a a leader um, that is not a servant leader um, of fear. You you know, there's many ways of of ruling uh, of authority that tends to happen with any community. As soon as you have a community and you go in, I mean, I, I'm a project manager at IBM and they train you with the idea of forming, storming, norming um, of, you know, and performing are the four phases of a group being brought together. And you as a, as a leader have to understand that. Naturally, you're going to get a leader. Um, and with being a leader comes responsibility. Uh, and a lot of leaders of, of communities, if they're not servant leaders, very quickly, and a lot of them are, are narcissistic, they have their own issues, um, psychopaths, sociopaths. Um, you know, it's a heady mix when people hang off your every word. Uh, very dangerous. You start adding money into that, um, and you can have a very dangerous environment where you're controlling people. So I had a, a deep desire to please this woman. I knew at the drop of a hat, she could destroy my life and she had a campaign you know, on me to, to break me, which she did a very good job of around the age of 10 to 12, um, where she picked on me for showing off all the time. And I just, just was hammered constantly um, over this. of so just like wanting to win. I'd like running and I'd, I'd try and become first with everything I did when it came to sports and just been hammered for showing off on that and stuff. So I knew she was boss. So when we got pulled out of the cult, I remember within, you know, I, I've, what would it have been? The police came, there was a hundred of them on there concerned that we'd be ferreted away. Uh, they're leading us up the stairs. It was out onto, out, out into the world. Um, and I remember holding on at the top of those balustrades um, as the police were leading me out, not wanting to leave um, because I guess my whole life I was about to yeah. head overseas I, this world that I was fearful of, I'm about to be taken into it and I'm not in control of it. Mm -hmm. It didn't take me long. Within about 30 seconds, I sort of let go. I'm, I'm led to the bus that, that we were driven away. And, and as I'm, but within five minutes of being driven away, I remember saying a chapter of a book has just finished and I'm turning a page and new one's about to be written. I remember actually saying this, um, you know, and that, proved to be true by that night i'm lying in bed um i'd i'm at the alambi reception center over in elwood those in melbourne would would, would have mm. known that i think near the up on uh, elga road and whitehorse road uh, i think victorian university's there now mm. um so i'm lying in bed in the Lambie reception center banksia unit on a bunk bed, never been on one before, new set of pyjamas. I'd just eaten dinner, had sweets, able to wash the dishes, excited I was able to be in the kitchen and, you know, told it wouldn't last long and it didn't last long. Having to, as I'm doing, feel that I could actually wash the dishes. Now I argue over who has to empty the dishwashing machine. <laughs> um, you know, I'm normal, <laughs> like everyone, but then I've got my own toothbrush and I'm lying there checking through everything I'd said that day. Uh, which was standard practice because if you said the wrong thing to a stranger, you, you got punished. And I remember having this cathartic moment going, hang on a second here, I don't have to do this anymore. I'm free. Yeah. Mm. And through that day, we've been told by the girls that had, had gone to the police that had facilitated this, that I'd grown up with, that had all been given LSD, had done everything they could 
to overcome their fear of the police and realise that they had to go to them and write these statements to so the police would rescue us. Um, and you know, they I'm so grateful that they they overcame their fear and they rescued me because you know I was vexed from having to go through LSD as a, as a 15 year old. And they had told us through the day that Anne was fake, that they had seen the, pass, the fake passports, the fake stuff on her, that she wasn't who she said she was. And as I said, by that evening, I'm able to process life and go, you know what? I'm out of here. Mm. She's fake. I'm, I'm happy. And from that point forward, Anne Hamilton Byrne never really held a huge sway over me as far as I wanted her as a mother or a teacher. There were spiritual connections, undoubtedly, um, and traffic in the occult. Um, and it, it took me years once I became a born-again Christian and was able to exercise the spiritual authority that Christ gives us and able to break those curses she placed on me. That was really the only real connection that she had. But as far as a mother, a teacher, a guru, I was able to dump that very, very quickly. And I'm, I'm grateful to that. It's been That's good. really good. So did so when you were in that situation, do you think it was more, did you see her as Jesus Christ or do you think it was more of a fear thing, the way you've been talking about? Do you think it was a fear of that or? Yeah, and I, I really hadn't bought into the full spiritual side of her. I hadn't been initiated. I hadn't really gone there. My experience, it was more for me just fear. It was and I remember a point of time where she, um, asked us all. So I grew up with Hatha Yoga meditation and meditation in essence, what it is, um, is a clearing of the mind, all, all stuff. And you're looking at, so people would say, centering yourself. What in essence you're doing is you're removing all the distractions, all the thoughts, dialing into whatever's out there. Um, people would say you need to be awakened from within. You're focusing on yourself, focus on a blue light, whatever. But in essence, what you're doing is you're dialing into what's out there and opening yourself up to the supernatural, um, transcendental meditation. You'll speak, I remember reading a book called The Death of a Guru, who spoke about people that had been on the drug run from Pakistan into Afghanistan on hash, LSD, heroin, whatever else. The experiences they had were exactly the same as he had when he was meditating. So Anne dialed into this with the use of LSD and other stuff. And I remember her one day asking us all to focus on her, to meditate. And I felt as if I'd fallen, as, you know, blanked my mind out and as if I drifted off to sleep. So my head sort of dipped like this. And in my mind, I, you know, I felt as if someone had slapped me across the back of the head and jolted awake and Anne yelled out, Ben, how dare you shut me out of your mind? Uh, as in, you know, I was like, well, oh, that's a bit different. Um, so here she is attempting through the use of the occult meditation to directly connect in and control. Would have been within a year, I remember sitting at the dinner table, she's standing over me, grabs my chin, forces my head up, looking directly into my eyes and held my gaze for about a minute and let me go and moved on. And after that experience, whenever we got into trouble, I'd get this incredible feeling of depression, suicidal, fear, palpitation, just just this, this kaleidoscope of emotions like this black dog of depression, this metal blanket would fall over me, come from nowhere, hit me. The only thing that would lift it off was if I'd actually go and tell on those that had, had misbehaved. And then it was like the <laughs> feeling like would the leave books or something. Yeah, and, and like you would look at that them. going... Precisely, yeah. and, and that, and 
I I thought nothing of it. Okay, I just thought, listen, I'm that's the way I'm wired, the way it is. Well, I get out of the cult. I become, as I said, fear ruling. You, you, everyone would go, that's just, of course, you'd react that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you spoke of earlier about getting into trouble and telling on people and trying to stop that. The punishment was horrible. But there was a supernatural side to this, you know, and it's documented that Anne Hamilton Byrne, very early on when she became part of meditation, you can read a book by Chris Johnson and Rosie Jones called The Family. And they document when Anne started Hatha Yoga, she connected with a lady, and I've forgotten the name, Bergenstein or something, that, that used to do Hatha Yoga in, in Tuak that Anne connected with. And at one point, there was one of these young men that annoyed Anne, and she muttered, he won't be turning up next day. Um, he's going to get very ill. Well, that's exactly what happened. Wow. Um, and and that people at that were like, whoa, this is a bit different. Mm-hmm. And this this woman divorced herself from Anne. Now, Anne was trafficking in the supernatural, big time in the demonic. And it is also documented that Anne would take people's names. She would put them into blocks in water, freeze them in, in the ice, yeah, in, in the freezer, and you're in her bad books. And things would happen to people. Um, she would control people. So I get eventually taken out of the cult, lived with this this horrible feeling, become a born-again Christian, serving Jesus Christ, understand that greater is the power within me than that of this world. Jesus said, all power, dominion, and authority. You will have power over scorpions, over demons, over every force that there is. I delegate that to you. So I'm, suddenly this feeling comes on me. You know, and I'm like, where did this come from? I haven't misbehaved. I haven't done anything wrong. Why, why this, this, where's this from? And I began, to, you know, the Bible speaks of desire, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. One of those is, is a gift of discernment of spirits. And I was able to dial into this. My mind went back to that situation where Anne cursed me, a spirit of depression, of suicide, of fear. And I bound those in the name of Jesus. I commanded these demons to leave me, get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm casting you out of my life. Leave, leave the womb, as it were. And this, this, this left me and my flatmate who happened to be a, a born again Christian eventually became my brother-in-law um, had the very so I told him this is the curse that happened if you get this you know, this, this is what goes on he woke up 12 o'clock that night same feeling I'm like he told me the following morning remember what I'd said prayed against it left and then the next time I felt this I eventually age 20 got married young dumb and broke as they say as the song goes but um happened to get retreads on a on a car that I had, should have got spent the money and got the full thing, headed down the Adelaide Hills, crashed the car on a stinking wet night, same feeling came on and my dear bride said to me, Listen, we're here to enjoy ourselves. Um, you know, that black dog of depression, I'm I'm not doing a week with it. Um, you know, obviously felt horrible what had happened, all of that sort of stuff. So she said, why don't we sing, put on the garment of praise to the spirit of heaven. There's a natural uh, scripture comes directly out of Isaiah. Um, put on the garment of praise to the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice with God. Praise you the spirit and with understanding. Magnify the Lord. And Jesus spoke of that. He says, I come to bind up the brokenhearted, set the captive free, proclaim acceptable you the Lord. And, and we, as I began to do that, just this, this lifted off me and I never had that experience again. So I joined the dots and point back to Anne, trapped in the occult used LSD to give people these supernatural experiences, used it to control and manipulate people, lay curses on people. Um, and I, I guess I never saw her as the reincarnation of Jesus, mm-hmm. but I definitely lived in fear of her. Um, and it was spiritual, it was supernatural. And as I said, as a born-again Christian, I was able to get victory over that. But 
we, we, we've over in the West, I guess we struggle with the concept of that there is a supernatural realm. You, you head over to India, you head over to Africa, you head over to Asia and many parts of the world and people have a file for, for this. They, they very much get that there is a curse is laid, even speak to Aboriginals, First Nation people, and you begin to speak about witch doctors and about pointing the bone and about spirits and they have a file for this and living in fear and, and dial into there's a supernatural world out there. So, and traffic in this um and use that to control many a many a cult member so um sorry Smith. um so how did you feel when she passed like what were your feelings when you found out that she's passed yeah. if you don't mind okay no absolutely go there and, uh, and that question's been asked me before um it, it it was a mixture of emotions my immediate one so I have to back up a bit here. Now, excuse me while I answer That's this a bit good. longer. Um, so eventually connected with my mum would have been probably about 16 years ago. My mum had come back to Australia. She lived overseas. Um, connected with her. She went to see her mum, my grandmother. Uh, she'd normally stay back in, in the sect uh, property up in the Linda um, in the Dandenongs and she'd come down and visit her, her mum, my grandmother. We happened to catch that's the first time I saw her, as I said, 16 years ago. And we began to build this relationship, whatever. So come 2012, so we're talking now, what is it, eight, nine years ago, um, she decided to actually spend a couple of weeks with me. And we went on holidays, happened to actually go back up to Lake Eildon um, just to see it with my kids um, and chat with her and whatever else. But she wanted to go and see Anne. Um, and I, I was happy to facilitate that and I was curious. So we looked her up in the old people's home where Anne had quite advanced dementia and I was curious to see her. Basically, I knew she had dementia. I knew she was probably beyond being cognizant of who I was and beyond, you know, being able to register what had happened. And by that stage, as I said, I'd already broken any ties I'd had with her. She had really no control over it. I was just interested to what it was. So <laughs> at that stage, Anne didn't really recognise me. She knew who Joy was, uh, my mum. Um, and it was quite a surreal experience. And I'm looking through this this uh, photo album, which had photos of my childhood and the people I'd grown up with. And Anne sort of you know, had just woken up, looked across and said, you can have that. And I knew, I knew she didn't want, you know, she just wasn't cognizant, left it there and stuff, whatever else. And it was qu quite a journey. I write about that at length in, in the book I've written. Um, but, yeah, move, moving on with that one, um, that to me was just shutting the door. It was like, yep, I know this is gone. So in essence, from that moment up until she died, I, I'd often said, you know, I'm just waiting for her to drop off the perch, which you just help us all and just just do the done thing and die. So when the day actually happened, and I, I got I got a phone call from one of one of the ladies who'd been in the cult, confirming that Anne actually had died. And the very song that went through my head, "She's dead, the wicked witch is dead," um, you know, straight straight out of um, yeah, out, out of that that play and stuff. Yes, with the Oz and stuff. So. Um, that 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 was the feeling of yeah. she's gone, the level of control that she has. And then I began to process and think through this further. A uh, sense of relief, uh, a sense of aware that 
some of the people I'd grown up with, uh, others that were maybe not directly in that property during that phase of time, but had had their lives destroyed by Anne, that would be a day that would bring it home for them. They would be processing it. Some of it would be very difficult for them. Um, they would really struggle. So I guess I began to think through the damage of what she'd done, uh, the, I guess, some element of great empathy and concern for some of them. So I reached out to those that obviously were open to that. Um, I went and wrote a blog, the unauthorized biography, which I've put onto my website, Rescue the Family. Um, I guess a sense of me pulling together what I thought, what I felt, and it's quite lengthy. I probably should have broken it down into a couple of blogs, but I was, sort of what, I was, what I was thinking and processing of it all, a bit of history, who she was, what she was. And then I put another one up there about justice, was justice served? Because that, you know, and did a lot of evil. Uh, she broke a lot of laws. And this becomes the problem with I, people that believe in ideology. It excuses or justifies behaviour. Um, and we look at, and I'm, you know, I'm going to go there with a couple of things. So you say, for example, look at the rabid vegans that feel completely justified to go there with the exit rebellion, you know, and demand that they break traffic up, you know, stop lives. People that are eating in restaurants, meet, they think they have the right to go in there and disrupt that and they must change their behavior. And they believe that their behavior is justified based upon an ideology that humans are evil and animals are like humans and we have no right to do whatever. They completely believe that, that is valid. Others would believe that humans in this world uh, are destroying it and we're the greatest threat there is and we actually need to kill a couple of hundred million of us for this world to survive. Therefore, abortion is completely acceptable and, and they completely justify it, completely valid human life, is not actually that important. We are a blight on society. So what you believe matters. And so it, become, it can be very, very dangerous with all of this, your belief system of what you believe, and it then justifies behavior. Um, and some of that behavior, according to the laws of the land, can be evil and is evil. And the greatest threat we have is when you have a government that starts changing laws turning that which actually damages children, damages families, damages society, damages people, and passes that as a good law, and those that are trying to protect them are evil. That which is good is treated as evil, that which is evil is treated as good. And you have, that's why I say every culture, the community's underlying legal tenets, um, that's cult. Cultures, U-R-E-S, is a universal response to eternal salvation. So a, a culture that understands that we're inherently left to ourselves, we are sexually perverse, we are savages that do evil things to one another unless we hold ourselves in check and say no to ourselves and understand that if we live by our appetites and our passions, we are, are driving primal nature of what we want to do if left unleashed. We, 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 societies are not a pretty place. And when you unleash that and then you entrench laws that support that premise that you can do what you want, when you want and how you want and no one can tell you otherwise and if anyone does, they're a criminal and you're born with any appetite and every appetite, um, it, you, you can end up with some very dark places and great destruction to be happened. So it can, it can be a very unhealthy thing. So the cult began to do and in it 
criminal behavior and very dangerous things can happen. This becomes the problem when you have a community of belief, whether it's political, whether it's spiritual, whether it's a gang of any type that enforces and has laws and has rules that are dangerous for the individuals in there, and yet they enforce those. Um, God help us. And that's why I say the moral code models the downstream of culture or upstream of culture, which is upstream of politics, which is upstream of society, as it were. Um, you be very careful what you hold to be true and what you don't and what you believe and what you allow. And so when you have communities like the family that has its own set of rules that they believe they're above the law and they set their own, which is codified and enforced, you, you produce an outcome. And that's why people look into this going, how did it happen? What hmm. was there? Well, the society of where it was at the moment um, was in great upheaval, just sort of like the current one we're in. People disconnected from... Uh, culture from the law from those that are in authority didn't believe the bill of goods they were selling them and then they began to form their own communities their own groups their own truth their own reality their own bubble as it were their own things and you can end up with some some organs there some pretty dangerous stuff where you're not held accountable and the people in that that are leaders are not held accountable they will order themselves and you will find it fascinating how many leaders and I, I, when I say cult leaders, once again, I'm broadening that out past spiritual into in general, people in power, how many of them use that power to gratify their own appetites in money, in sex, in power, in wealth, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a politician, whether it's a, a leader of a community of faith, can be any position of power. Um, when you've got people hanging off you every word, you've got number, noise and nickels. More people throw themselves to their destruction from the pinnacle of success where people hang off their every word and they've got some money and they've got a group of people looking to them for answers than, than people that are on Struggle Street trying to, trying to just make life work. Well, I don't know where the time's gone, man, because we could be talking for hours, man. But, like, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, we like, really appreciate it. Really appreciate uh, it. I think we're going to end it there. Yeah. But um, I, I was thinking okay. maybe even when you uh, when your book comes out, yeah. uh, maybe we could, we'll have a read and okay. uh, maybe we could have another chat about it then. And uh, what was your blog? Do you want to uh, tell us about that real quick? Just give it a plug. So yeah, just, go check it out. Okay. Sure. So just www.rescuethefamily.com. And in there, there's a blog section. And there's just some different stuff. I don't put a lot up there. I'm just mindful of, of stuff. But yeah, there's, they can find the stuff I spoke of and I'll, I'll keep an update on the book. So I've, I've written a chapter of the book that's very much changed, but it gives people a bit of a view when hmm. welcome to go have a bit of a week and some bit of an insight and stuff and a bit of about myself. So once the book's out and ready, it'll, it'll be on there as well. And I'll probably engage more on podcasts as well. So yeah, guys, cool. I have to say thank you very much for the opportunity. Oh, thanks for coming thank on, man. No, it was such a good talk. Great, great chance to connect with 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 people in general of the community, and I appreciate those who take the time to listen as well um, okay. to tell my story and stuff. So thanks, guys. Really appreciate you. Thank time. you thank so you much, man. Really we'll that. put a link in our bio and all that, so people can go check that out. All right, thank good you, on, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate good you. Bye for now. And we're back. We're back. We're baby. back. We're back. Yeah, we are back. Hey, he's gone. Heavy, heavy shit. Heavy. Heavy but like we said shit. just before it, man, we are just stoked for Ben um, and good on him. Like, yeah, came out fucking good on the other end, the other side, which is 
um, uh, you know, you a know, lot more than what you can say for some other people. Yeah. So that's a thing too. Like, you know, no shit. We're not throwing shade, but like a lot of people lost the bat, their battles with their demons, and like people, some people become major drug addicts, and like, not not to like like what like you were doing LSD for the every day. Like you just don't know what's going on. Mm. Like. Fucking end, go fuck yourself. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, you're a bitch. And I hope but there is a fucking hell. And fucking Lex takes you fucking down. If you want to, <laughs> yeah. if you want to hear some fucking real cool stone cold fucking fucking uh, shit, listen to Lex. Just yeah, no, absolute tear that. <laughs> cut it. Don't cut his dick off. <laughs> he cuts a dick right off. <laughs> but but uh, uh, guys, you can go and find Ben. Um, he's actually got his own book, and it, you know, you read it in his own words. Uh, we haven't had the chance to yet, but I'm definitely planning on doing it. Yeah, once um, I learn to read, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's the What's the blind braille? <laughs> All right, so yeah, there's a, <laughs> a braille edition soon to be. Um, but anyway, if you go on rescuethefamily.com, he's got his book called Life Behind the Wire, and he's also got like multiple blogs on his uh, on his site that you can check out. But um. And yeah, I, it's wild stuff. Like, and an advice for you guys to just go check it out. There's a documentary called the the family. The family, hundred percent. Check it out because like we're gonna skip stuff. Like next week we'll go into it a bit more with Lex and like the what they did to these guys. And like you do you do hear it in this interview, but like uh, mm. like being there too is this freaky as well. Like yeah, we'll put the it definitely off. has a weird vibe. And that's the other thing, uh, Billy. I haven't mentioned here yet, but um, when I was watching that doco you see them at that house and you see it in pristine condition. Like it is fucking spooky because, like, to oh. see what it is now. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah. Cause it's like, don't get it twisted. It's not dilapidated or like falling apart, but you some know, parts I, are overgrown. Yeah. And there was like terrifying birds, giant. Yeah. Like weird Godzilla birds, birds. Yeah. like Jurassic Park birds. Yeah, literally. Like, I've <laughs> never been scared of a fucking bed. You <laughs> I felt I felt like an Asian tourist at the Penguin Parade. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, didn't they throw rocks at? Wait, well, did you hear that? No. Oh man, I can't remember what it is. Oh, that's right. I think it's a kangaroo. It's so fucked up. They threw rocks at it. Yeah, and killed it. What? Yeah. So Are you fucked. Serious? Yeah. How I'm long gonna, was this? I'm gonna. I have to find it. Um, um, we might. We might come back to that, but uh, because we're gonna. I reckon we're gonna. Um, Last week we talked about a little bit of news, what was happening in the news. So I think we're gonna have a segment. This is our news. This is our news song. Here we go, Smith. Let's talk about news. What's hot on the news? What's hot? Yeah. Breaking news, breaking news. Alright, so here we go. I'm about to fix what I was just saying. So tourists throw rocks at a panda because they're bored she's sleeping. All right, different country. Different country, <laughs> different thing. I didn't. I don't think I said Australia, but I believe... Say kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, I mixed it up. Oh, no, here he goes. Kangaroo dies in Chinese zoo after visitors throw rocks to make it hop. There we go. Mm. That's on abc.net. <laughs> I don't know why I finished that. Uh, but yes, that is actually... Here we go. We'll read a little section. Zoo authorities in China say a kangaroo has been killed and another injured at a Fuzhou Zoo in southeastern Fujian Nailed province. It. Thank you. After visitors threw rocks into their enclosure. But fucking hell. Savages. <laughs> 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 um, there's actual photos too, and they're fucked up. Look at that. They didn't stop. No. 
Um, those, yeah, what the fuck? Uh, there's my little <laughs> this dark bit. There's this is dark news. Thanks for that. No, we did that on the fly too. We weren't even going to talk about that. Um, but we're going to talk. We really want to talk about this. Can't avoid it. <sighs> Not getting jiggy with it. Will no. Smith. Will Smith got up. The man, the the man that is mates of the worms himself, Will Smith, gets up <laughs> and slaps the taste out of Chris Rock's mouth. <laughs> what now, do you think? What do you think? My my thing is right. I'm sorry, but Will Smith, you're a cuck. You're a cuck. <laughs> you're a simp. You're a simp. Right. I've been saying all week because you know his missus. Like so, like they'll go on holiday. Yeah. They went on a holiday to Hawaii and then she flew in because they got an open relationship. Yeah. She that's flew right. in a rapper that oh. that she got st- straight and she flew him in. That is fucked. So I've been saying to Ben, oh, well, she used to bone Tupac. Yeah, 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 yeah. She used to bone Tupac. Yeah. <laughs> I've only got, we've only got uh, <laughs> DMX stuff, but I bet, she, I bet she fucking had a bit of, she got in the dog pan, if you know what I mean. With <laughs> Yeah, she gave him stuff. <laughs> but I mean... <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, so, uh, so Will Smith walked into that... Ho- this is what he should have done. Walked into that hotel room and just gone, Get my wife's tit out of your mouth! <laughs> oh, I did see a photo of that guy earlier and he's pretty big, so I can't see Will trying to slap him. That's another thing too. Like, why would you... Like, People have been saying if The Rock was doing the speech, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a little background. Rock can't read, so that's why he's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no but if you want to, if you want to see what I'm cooking, Rock, don't cover. tell him. Don't no snitches. That's this episode, Ladies guys. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we, got we got him. We got him. Fucking rock, rock bottom, you, bro. <laughs> you'll be the Rock, and you'll be my bottom. Fatality. Got him. But uh, yeah, no, nah, he goes up to him and slaps him in the face. It's and do you know what? There's this point, and I've been there. So I always say there's two types of people in this world, outside dogs and inside dogs. Mm-hmm. Your boy's an outside dog. And I know a lot of inside dogs. And it's all right to be an inside dog. Mm-hmm. But you hang out with the outside dogs and you're like, this is fucking cool. Then it gets too real. <laughs> gets too yep. real. And you start getting like hurt feelings. You're like, oh, it was fun hanging outside, but I'm an inside dog. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> there's God. a point where he looks at him and I'll, I'll we'll clip it. And yeah. he looks at fucking Will Smith after the rap, and he's just like this. Like I'm, a, I'm pretty good with my banter. Uh-huh. I've grown up in, in the autismo chat. Like you have to have a thick fucking skin. Can't fucking fuck up once because they'll just fucking roast yeah. you. Yeah, and he's it. looking at him. He's like, I could this because like. You're a cuck. Yeah, like you're a Chris cuck. Rock will smack Chris him. Looks, Chris, no, just like verbally. Just uh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. He ha- oh, he'll take him to he has, he has a fucking, you know, wheel of fortune wheel of just insults. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. He's just spinning it and he goes, nah, let it pass. I've done that. Uh-huh. Like, like you know, you'll be, be the hang- bigger man. hanging out at work and you know this guy's like, just getting a little bit too lippy, India. And I'm like, dude, like, I'll, I'll bite just like that. I'm like, you thought there was fucking microchips in the index. <laughs> now you're vaxxed. You're omni-idiot. I'm like, just like that. I'm like, you collect Lego. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know when to hold him, huh? Yeah. Oh, just like, bang, like that. It just hurts him a little bit. Just give him a little gut punch. I'm like, oh, I'm not here. I can't play with the big dogs. I have feelings. Uh-huh. And that's when the out dog, the outside dog comes out. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the outside dog. Uh, uh, yeah. The outside uh. dog. What do you think? What do you think about it? 
Uh, it was kind of a bitch move because I did see that like he laughed at the start. Yeah. And then he must look at his missus and be like, all right, I'm trying to get in the good books here. She's going to bring another dude to yeah, Hawaii yeah. if I don't get up on stage and fucking I just defend. Got, I just got the tit out of that dude's mouth. Just molded out. Because yeah, he looked, he's like, hm, that's not funny. He's like, ha ha, ha ha, Will Smith. Oh, yeah. Ha, ha. Oh, that's not funny. That's not funny. That's not hot. And he goes up and like, I just think it's like, yeah. I get it. Like you're the cuck of the internet. Like before this, after this, you will Smith, you know, your son's named Jaden. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you know, that's a reference to another podcast, but your son's named Jaden. Like, you know, what do you expect um, from, from a man that named your son Jaden? Yeah. Uh, like there's nothing good. Jaden and Braden, they're just punching off. Like, they're just not, they're grub names. Dude, every time I think of his name, I just think about on Bruno. You know the movie Bruno? Because we're like Wilhelm Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> Wilhelm Schmidt. But uh, I was going to say, there's some funny uh, celebrity takes. I mean, he, uh, you, I guess you'd class him as a celebrity. Uh, UFC fighter, Sean Strickland. Yeah, Strickland. Yeah. He's like, she was known to throw the pussy around. <laughs> Sean Strickland. So he's one of them. He oh, is the definition of outside dog. Yeah. Like, he got pulled up the other day. Like he... He, he, I love Sean Strickland. Like, like he has said some bad. Well, when he said bad stuff, like he's just pretty much open book. Mm-hmm. Like there was a video of him the other day, um, riding his motorbike and this chick in a in a land. Uh, no, it was a Rover. I think it was a Rover. Um, was just like he's like, there's a national park and nearly hit me. And then she's just like, you're a very rude man. He's like, do you have a son or a husband? Bring them down. <laughs> <laughs> I will fight. And there's other videos of him like at the lights. He's like, dude, I will fight you, but you better not have a knife. Show me you don't have a knife, and we can throw. Like, uh, like he does not it. care. He's he he could be a future champ. He's actually been signed up to fight Alex Pereira, the guy that knocked out Izzy once mm. and has beaten him on point. So. The UFC want Izzy gone. Damn. Yeah. All right. Well, I got another hot take for you. So, you, go. you know Tom Segura? I think that's how you pronounce, uh, uh, pronounce that's it. That's how you know, pronounce it, but I don't know him that well. Um, I know of him. Yeah, you'd recognize this guy for sure. That dude? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I've, I've listened to his pod here and there, just like clips Is that on the YouTube. Mother's House podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know him, yeah. Um, but anyway, I did not think of him as this type of guy. I literally just saw a bunch of screenshots on... Instagram and whatnot, and I just thought someone's definitely photoshopped this. Someone's fucking <laughs> and done a good job at it. But no, you go on his Twitter, and so basically the academy um, did a tweet saying the academy does not condone violence, blah blah blah. And he's like, "Lol, you fully endorsed it." Fuck Will Smith, and then did a shucker. <laughs> and then the next one is fuck Will Smith's candy ass, smacking a dude four inches shorter and fifty pounds lighter. He's just in his feelings because his bald-headed bitch <laughs> been fucking around on him for years and he takes it. The first thing I would have thought, Chris Rock, just look at it, it's like, not my fault. You're going out with Mr. Sheen. Like, that's <laughs> well, the first yeah. thing. That, that, that's like, that's one thing. Chris Rock come from the fucking New York scene. Yeah, like, yeah. fucking the Roastmasters. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of this tweet, he says, we all know who you, he wishes he could slap. Hashtag cuck will. <laughs> And then uh, someone said, white comedians jumping out heavy with the racism today and it's fucking nuts. And they tagged him in it. And he said, where's the racism? This is about a comedian and a bitch. (laughs) And then he's this last one is pretty funny. It says, this bitch bean bald jokes about it or her are fine. 
It was tame as fuck. You super sensitive about it? We'll buy a fucking wig. <laughs> Damn, he like went. Ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, he went in. We got him. Oh, man. Uh, that, so they should take him down a peg. And what, you know, like, uh, mate, like Ricky Gervais, because they talked to Ricky Gervais, like, what would you said? He's just like, you know, because he, he does the Golden Globes because they, they can't stop him from saying what he wants to say. That's why he does right. it. That's the only reason he does the Golden Globes. He goes, Oscars, they'll never let me do it. Because you got to go through. So apparently, what Chris Rock said was off, wasn't on the teleprompter. He seen he must have had like a fucking you know yeah, like light bulb but, moment. No, nah, I think what happened was like you know like we have the uh, the, <laughs> the ring lighter, light, the ring light, <laughs> the glare. So, so the glare was like shining <laughs> in his eyes or something <laughs> off her bald head, yeah. and uh, he's just like bang, just a little jab. It wasn't yeah. even that bad. Like I've heard that. Did you hear him? He ripped into her a while ago. No. Did you hear what he said? Um, he said something like, because uh, uh, Jada Smith was uh, uh, boycotting the Oscars. Right. And then, because there was no uh, black representation. And then um, <laughs> Chris Rock said at a speech there, he goes, uh, you know, Jada's, um, Jada's boycotting the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Grammys, no, Oscars, sorry. He goes, that's like me uh, boycotting and in, uh, going to Rihanna's panties. He's like, oh, I wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Fuck it up. And then so, uh, we got so him. apparently Will Smith's like, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey, Does Rock. A shuffle. Yeah, hey, Rock. Oh, oh hey. <laughs> Be good to your mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> he goes, goes, can you not light up my missus? And, it, and then I don't know And then he Like it was just Off the top of the dome Off the top of her dome too Yeah Like Like she Like I honestly think She's like You got Will Smith's your husband Right mm-hmm. And then you have this Like podcast where you, uh, It's what it's called Like open red letter Something I'm not even Want to plug her shit But like she You know She's humiliated him Like I don't yeah. care what it is Like she knows what she's doing She's like Because you got Will Smith And you just want to Take him down a peg She goes Oh you see, you see this oh, I'm fucking See you later Wilhelm Cut him <laughs> <Yeah>. Schmidt <laughs> See you later Schmitty <laughs> See you later Schmidt dog Wild wild <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Then you got some dude Just motorboat And I just got This is a <laughs> Wild wild chest <laughs> Oh <laughs> Wild wild chest <laughs> Dude oh, I used to think what, we were In that movie Wild wild west Where Will Smith Was getting it In the fucking uh, Water supply I'm like Oh I kind of remember That's hot Yeah that is hot <laughs> I've well, never wanted to drink water So much in my life <laughs> <laughs> Damn I'm thirsty <laughs> <laughs> But anyway We're gonna get off this yeah. We're gonna get off this But like I, I stand with Good to be back. Like it's good to be back. Good to be riffing. Yeah. Good to be riffing on these guys. Burn the rich, man. Like, like yeah. Like I think uh, Ricky Gervais said the joke I would say is just like you know, it was something like because um, he's the funniest guy oh, yeah. that's ever done it. And uh, he he said, oh, if I was doing it, I'd be like you know we've got all the you know everybody in here, all the celebrities and the rich. He's like, yeah, but we're just you know thinking about everybody's. But like, fuck the poor though. Am I everybody? Am we right? Fuck them. <laughs> fuck them. No poor. Everybody's in here, but them. How good is this? <laughs> fuck them. Can I get a chant? Like he just like, oh, he's stop. good. Yeah, just him. like people will talk. He's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. like, you don't care. Shut up. Because I don't want to hear about your speech about world hunger. You don't care. You don't care. Like he, like, he was just ripping into him. He's so fun, dude. Some no, of the best things. Him. Shout out to him. Yeah, fucking Ricky Gervais, you're a legend. Like, did you ever hear what? Um, it was like, um, he goes, Katy Perry sent her prayers, uh, thoughts and prayers to um, 
to the flood victims in New Orleans. He goes, I'm an idiot. All I sent was money. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that is another it. good one. Fuck Actually, before we go, one quick thing. You know, um, what'd you get? You just pulled something out of his eyes. It was no, like no, a no. fart. Oh. <laughs> um, no, you know, fucking, have you ever seen the photo? This is actually one of the funniest things ever. What's the guy that plays? Oh, that's it. Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Have you ever seen the video, uh, the photo of him? And no, I think it's Katy Perry on the, like, you know, what are those long boards that you like surf on? Like yeah. the, have you seen the photo of them together? No, no, no. He's got like a semi-erected cock. Is he packing? <laughs> it's just funny as the angle that it's on. Is he packing? Um, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, you can't see the full, uh, it's in between. So it's hard to judge. Um, but let me find this for you real quick. I'd have a hard time hanging out with her too. I'd always be yeah. half mast. <laughs> what, what do they call it? Fucking Get a bit ball. of blood in the worm. Half burped worm. That's all right, guys. Oh, that's right. Wait, wait. Well, looking it up. We, I want to bring. Uh, I was paddleboard. There we go, guys. Sorry, he was like, they can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to be togged involved. I thought that was going to be togged. No, dude. His full dick's out. It's so funny. It's like one of the funniest pictures I've ever seen. That's so good. That's Legolas. <laughs> Legolas with his fucking... Legolas with Legolas. his... No, just, there you go. It's all right. <laughs> you know, what's that? My axe and my cock. <laughs> and my uncircumcised pecker. <laughs> my fury. <laughs> Uh, Babe puts a couple arrows in that quiver. (laughs) (laughs) Got his ass. Oh, that was good. Got his ass. Look at him, teary. I Uh, thought he was going to be wearing togs. No, dude, full cock out. Full cock. I wish we could put that on inside. That'd be funny. Ah, we'll blur it out. Yeah. Uh, messages, I'll send it to you. Oh, you can look it up <laughs> yeah. if I could care. But let's get back to the real news. So this week, a 16-year-old from Texas drove through a tornado <laughs> to go for a job interview. All right? Wow. Yeah, so I've got the footage and he, it's... Give that motherfucker a promotion instantly. And Smith, you're going to love this kid. All right. You're going to love the way you look. You're going to okay. love this kid. All right, we're gonna play. right, I'm going to play the audio of this. Go through a minute, guys. All new at 10, we're hearing from the 16-year-old truck driver driver caught in a tornado. Riley Leon is in this viral video from Elgin, 40 miles northeast of Austin. His red shabby truck got flipped on its side until the storm tossed it upright again. And amazingly, he drove away. <laughs> Riley says he was on his way home from a job interview at Whataburger when he was swept up in the storm Monday night. He says he did not see or hear it coming. It happened in the blink of an eye and, and everything is went fast then. My truck, I mean, my truck is gone, but thankfully I'm here. Riley made it out with just scrapes and bruises, and it didn't take him long to see this video of his ordeal posted on Facebook. I had actually gotten home from, from the wreck, and my brother was like, have you, have you seen the video? And I was like, what video? And he showed it to me, and I was like, that's actually me. He hasn't driven again since this happened, and so far he hasn't heard from Chevy. But he starts his new job at Waterburger on Monday. Waterburger, <laughs> damn, get that job, player. Oh, Waterburger, <laughs> oh, that was good. All right, oh, props to him. What a what a madman. All right, that's enough of that. Oh, funny. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, the car's are full flipping and shit and he just gets back to it. Yeah, the car's no, the full fucking electric slider doing the windmill <laughs> on the bit of fucking uh, 
you know, what's it called? The uh, the lino. Americans <laughs> call it the aluminal or whatever. Like, <laughs> the lino just <laughs> just back does a few spins. You got to get to that water burger interview. I didn't know. I like. I wanted to know where he was working. That's perfect. That's so cool. Good on him, man. Hats off to you. Yeah. We're having a little giggle at his haircut. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a beetle. <laughs> it's like a beetle with a party at the back. I love Gringo stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny, dude. Laugh. That's so funny. Gringo star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. We've had enough. We've had enough. We're cooked. I'm sweating. We're cooked. That was so <sighs> funny. But uh, yeah, guys. <laughs> That's been this week, Seb. That's been us and that's us talking about the news. Should I play the song to get us out? <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, not doing that. Um, Parker, just a bit of housekeeping to wrap it up. I've got a got a uh, little thing. Um, we've been talking to someone about um this upcoming thing that we're going to do for the show. It's going to be so fucking sick. I mm-hmm. want to tell you now, but I really can't. I really can't. And um, I want to just give a shout out to fucking Bo. Um, what a legend. I um, tr- We're talking tools, tool time. Here's the way to play the, the tool time thing. Here's the way to play talking tools. <laughs> talking tools with Billy. All right. This, uh, so I have a Makita charger. That's a dual, <laughs> dual charger. Might have dropped it a few times and only one side of the charger works. I'd, I reached out to Bo, who's a he's a really big fan of the show. He's always talking to me about it. He's an absolute fucking legend, and he fixed it up for me. So oh, I know, what a I know Shout out to you. Now it's in fucking now, stone, baby. Now it's, now it's fucking... It's cooking with gas. It's the best thing. It plays the Mexican hat song <laughs> when it charges the battery. It really does. <laughs> the and, ketchup um, song. Lost ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> fucking all of them could have got that when I was... Ten, <laughs> <laughs> fucking oath. Actually, they, she could, they could all got it. I go, Fuck! I wish I could drink fucking Coca Cola at that bar on the beach. <laughs> got a beer in sight. <laughs> 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 all right, guys. I think we're gonna go. Yeah. Also, quick shout out. Um, someone <laughs> reached out and gave us a uh, puddle of mud cover. That's gonna play. Oh, that's gonna play us out today. Yeah. We're gonna play the end of that. Shout out to Liam and Jesse for the puddle of mud cover. She might hate them, but fuck, we love you guys. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry about it. All right. One love. One love, guys. Talk to you later. She fucking hates me. Fuck yeah. Glad to be back. Love you. Love See you. Bye. Bye.